John 14. Let's take turns reading the Word of God this morning. The Word of God is precious, is powerful, and the Lord wants to speak to us. Praise God. John 14. You see from verses 1 to the end, 31 uh, verses in this chapter. Let's take turns and uh, have three people volunteer, if you would. Someone please read John 1 to 10, the next person 11 to 20, and the next person can read from 21 to 31. So whoever would like to read, please read slowly. If you have a good connection, that is slowly and uh, loud enough and clearly. Praise God. John 14, verse 1 to 10. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Amen. Verses 11 to 21, John chapter 14 and KJV version. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. More assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Praise God. 1422, Judas, not Ascarlet, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will not manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you 
here is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have said, spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so do I. Arise, let us go from here. The Lord starts this this conversation here, and the context is that trouble is on the horizon because of the upcoming crucifixion, all the trial that he's going to endure for us and in the midst of the trouble no wonder he says to the disciples who are very troubled Peter just denied the Lord and uh, actually he was predicted to uh, deny the Lord and so he would have definitely been troubled and in the midst of the teaching that the Lord was giving constantly to the disciples there was always this discussion about his great sacrifice that he's going to leave them he has to leave them he has to die and he has to die a brutal death for anyone who is near someone they love knowing that they'll have to go through that especially knowing that the Lord knows all things and it was a fulfillment of prophecy they weren't clear on it because they had their spiritual and mental blocks that they're experiencing. But the Lord says in the midst of that, don't let your heart be troubled. The reason he gives for expecting this word to encourage them so they are not drowned with the sorrow is because he says you have faith in God, remember? As I was praying this morning, when we opened the call, it was uh, a prayer to God that He is in control of every detail. And as we had a little refreshing or refreshment of our memory regarding some of the points that were spoken yesterday, that the prison may not be a place where believers should necessarily be anxious to get out of the moment they're in there because God may have a work for us there. In fact, any place that we find ourselves on any given day, according to the Lord, there's a purpose. There's no wasted moments in the plan of God for any believer But people can feel that they're wasting their lives because they may actually waste the resources God has given. They may waste all of the opportunities God has given. And the primary goal and opportunity God gives to every human being, regardless of culture, age, time period, is to know Him. It's the greatest investment a person can ever make There's no contest with that because that's going to determine our eternity. These people, these disciples were so closely walking with God physically, but their hearts were also 
seeking and longing to understand more and they want to know the Father's plan through the Lord Jesus. But being human beings and being frail, they were confounded. And some of them were told, such as Peter, that they're not going to be able to stand some tests. Not because the Lord willed it or he predestinated, predestined any believer to go through something where they will fall and fail. But he was saying it in his foreknowledge that you're not watching and praying. So it's going to happen. But I have prayed for you that ultimately your faith won't fail. And Peter was a person who was not conniving. He wasn't a person who was two-timing Jesus. He didn't say, Lord, I love you. And then like Judas, love money and love other things. He really did love the Lord. But the quality of that love would surface very minutely when he was faced with something that he wasn't ready to handle. Just like in the garden, the Lord would say, pray that you don't enter into a snare, a trap from the devil. He's setting things up. He wants to set you up. But I'm telling you, if you pray and if you watch, you won't fail. Do you recall the confidence you have experienced when you were forewarned and you were forearmed? Why? By being in the Word, by praying, by being taught how to watch and pray, and being with people who really love the Lord and who are striving to please Him in everything. And you see that dominion of the Holy Spirit in the life. There's, a, there's an increase in every area. There's a takeover by heaven. Hallelujah. How does that feel? So liberating. We feel so light. Our burdens are lifted because we no longer have to strive to maintain our own deliverance all by ourselves. We just need to cooperate with what God has planned. These people are troubled for a variety of reasons. And our blessed Lord, who let that Apostle John lean upon his chest, not a more endearing scene, I've said this before, and a father to a son, brother to a brother, to have that kind of affection. It wasn't merely gesture. There are people and cultures that have certain gestures where it will be very endearing to look upon, but in the heart, it's not really the case. It's merely custom and ritual. Hugs and kisses and embraces and exchange of niceties, trying to make each other feel warm. And meanwhile, there's a dagger behind the back. God have mercy. But it wasn't so with the Lord Jesus, nor with his disciples, except for that one who would betray him. He had a kiss in the front, but a dagger behind his back waiting. For who? For Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that the Lord impressed upon my heart in the past few days is how the Lord Jesus never singled out Judas until the appropriate time that no one had a clue that this man was what he really was. Which means when the Lord said to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled, that he didn't come back by saying, except you, Judas. I know all about you. I know what you're going to do. You're going to have trouble. But I'm talking to the 11, not you. Every customary salutation, every embrace the Lord would have had with his disciples, every intimate communication of the Father's love, Judas was given grace upon grace to be included in it. Isn't that amazing? If the Lord knew that this would be a rascal, he would commit the ultimate crime against the Lord of the universe. For money, 
because he was deceived. Money became his God and he went to the point of murder, effectively speaking, even to the point of murdering the Lord. He knew that this was the Messiah. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou or you sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He knew that. The Lord himself quoted that from Psalm 110 and attributed it to himself, the Father and himself. They could put one and one together and know that in Jesus, the man we're seeing here, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's something eternal here. There's God in the flesh. And he's telling us he has a kingdom and nobody can stop it. Who can claim that except God? Who can say, I am the father of one? seen all these things but he grew into the snake he became he was not created a snake but he became a snake because he allowed a lust which is a strong desire and made something his God Jesus speaks to him. He speaks to him all along, included with the other 11. And what happens? Nobody could figure out. They had no clue. We have a snake in our midst. We have a traitor. We have a, a person here who is despicable. They might have struck him right there and maybe even felt the need to kill him. He's going to do this to the Lord. How dare you do this? You're sitting here, you're eating with us, you're pretending like you're very friendly and loving, a brother. You're going to crucify the Lord? The eleven might have pounced on him. But the betrayal and arrest came to be according to the prophecy. That's why the Lord said, you know, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. It's prophesied. But woe to the man by whom he's betrayed. It's better for that man if he was never born. Sometimes we can feel like that. There are various reasons why believers, real believers, genuinely born again people can feel, you know, I'd probably better off dead. <coughs> I'm not talking about people who are not saved or backslidden. Only. But believers can have the temptation because there's a feeling of worthlessness, a failing, trying so hard, and I can't seem to absorb everything, God, and I can't seem to run fast enough to achieve the standards and milestones that I think you want me to. God's not in a hurry like that where He would allow us to feel worthless. He would encourage us, He would exhort us, He will warn us. He will also tell us where we should be, but he'll never condemn us if we're sincere. And yet we can feel that. We can feel that all I have is trouble in my life. And I've contributed to a lot of trouble. The past can come to haunt us. It's devastating when that demon or demons bring the past and he piles that up. It's like an avalanche and you're caught in it. You have to be careful never to allow that to happen. Or so don't let your heart be troubled. Have faith in God. Believe in me. Everything's going to be okay. How can he say that? He said that also to this Judas. And he would be found out. There's no one that can hide from the presence of God. No one. Every single thing we have done will come out one day unless we are repented, forsaken it utterly and thoroughly. It's a scary thing. The other day, I believe yesterday, I had this, I believe it came off of a dream, but as I awakened, I thought how terrifying it is to literally be at a point of no return, to have to face God. There's no way we can go back and correct anything. It's over. It's over. No matter how much you cry, there's no, no way we can make amends. 
we have to pay the dues right there if we have not followed him. And someone else mentioned that also. How horribly scary it is for those who are not ready to meet the Lord. But we have time to change. Judas was given time. As much as the Lord told the parable, he said three years, gave that tree. He said, I'm going to cut it down. And there was grace, or more grace given. At the request of uh, the servant. Lord, one more year, please. And he said, if this year there's no repentance, I'll be the first one. I'll we'll get rid of this. Because it's using the Lord's resources. Judas used the Lord. He used the Lord for his own personal, demonic, greedy, covetous purposes. We, we see what's happening here. We read it. We might have, might have seen this depicted in films. We can be sitting there and thinking, this is the greatest fool that ever lived. No question. What if the tables are turned on us? We have to investigate whether we have actually wasted the Lord's resources. We can feel very down about it if we're really honest. And we've done it. And yet the Lord says, if He can save the Judas and have grace even to the last second, even when He comes in the garden to say, friend, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Coming off friendly? He didn't say, you snake. Now your true colors come out. Hey, Peter, John, I want everybody to know. He didn't go off on that trajectory. Everything came up because now the disciples saw. Oh, look at this. Imagine the shock on their faces. Who's coming here with these with these mobsters with weapons against the Lord? I can't believe it. It's Judas. I can't believe it. Indignation, the anger, and the fear also. Total confusion and chaos. That was part of the package that they would experience, especially because they weren't really watching praying like they should. And the Lord says, what? Wait, wait before it happens. Don't let your heart be troubled. Keep your eyes on me. Don't worry. The storm is raging around the Lord. He's right there, but there's a storm around him. How did that happen? We've heard the messages here before. Storms will come, even when the Lord is right there. The Lord has promised it won't overcome us if we have eyes upon him. Hallelujah. The Lord says, don't let your heart be troubled. And he follows that up with, not only have faith in me, but he says, I'm going somewhere because we're going to live forever. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to turn out well. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's not going to be like a luxury apartment somewhere. In a rich neighborhood in Manhattan. It's not going to be some mansion somewhere. It's going to be part of a place called the New Jerusalem that's going to be somewhere from 1,400 to 1,500 miles square. And it's going to have a height, the same measurement, quite literally compared to the earth that we know now, it's going to go into space. With such a volume and dimensions that can house every human being that has ever lived and that will ever live. In my father's house, no wonder the song goes, the children sing. There's room for me. Hallelujah. God, who's the God of the universe, is in a, a predicament here, going to get arrested, going to be crucified. And yet, 
he's bringing everything into perspective how desperately we need that i thank god that he always brings me to the right perspective when i look to him when I, there's chaos around when there are problems and troubles when i just look to him and i say lord please help me to understand what i'm supposed to do how i'm supposed to understand what's happening oh god i need understanding lord i need to look beyond what my eyes can see because i don't see everything you do and here the lord is going from point a to point b covering eternity you're caught in a situation now don't worry don't be heavy in your heart look to me you believe in god believe in me he jumps right into eternity in my father's house are many mansions or rooms or dwellings and if it wasn't the case i would have told you he's telling them persuading them there really is a house it's my father's house there really are places for you each of you have an apartment there dwelling place there it has your name on it i'm going to prepare it for you everything's going to be ready for moving in time ends and come back and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself going to great detail to assure them there is a place yeah we have trouble now i'm taking you beyond this right now don't worry god is in control i'm taking you to a place special place i'm preparing for you you're going to live with me forever and if i'm going to prepare the place of course i'm going to come back for you so you can be with me i'm going to receive you I'm going to welcome you. It's going to be a reunion. Hallelujah. That where I am, you'll be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. He expected them to understand I came from the Father and I'm going back to the Father. But Thomas steps forward and says, "Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way?" Sometimes we ask the Lord that question. Lord, I don't understand where this is leading to. I have no understanding, Lord. Please help me. Ultimately, all we need to hear is the Lord is the way. He's in control, and he is the way. He knows the way, he is the way. Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Backing up again, to verses 1 to 3 as i was hearing the gospel read this chapter 14 immediately the question came up how much do you and i think about heaven after all someone says well i have a lot of life to live here i do think about heaven but not often if that's the case the truth is we're not as close to god as we think we are because a person that is in intimate communion with the lord will be looking forward eagerly to the lord's return number 1 into the place that he said he will take us to be with him forever we'll be conscious of the fact that every day i'm getting closer to heaven hallelujah every decision i make every choice every step is another step toward reunion with my lord physically the lord's not here physically but there will be a reunion for all believers with him where we will physically be with him and in this troubled time troublesome time The Lord takes great patience a great length I should say with great patience again to explain he's going to be arrested soon but he explains so wonderfully so caringly if you had known me 
you would have known my father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. So after three and a half years or so, how would you like to hear that statement? Now this is not the same statement at the end of Matthew chapter 7 where the Lord would say to those people who were hucksters, those people who were con artists, those people who were hypocrites. They had their season in the limelight in Christianity. They may have even ministered indeed to come boldly to claim that they saw miracles happen. The Lord didn't deny that. But he said, but you as a person, I, I really don't know you. You could have been on the street where I was. And so they'll say, but he'll say, but I don't know you. Because they weren't sincere. They were very deceptive and self-seeking. People who would haggle and argue and wrangle over merchandise and money and that's the thrill of their lives. All about me and all about what I can get in my pocket. Lord said, you can't serve me in money. To those people, he will say those dreadful words. Depart from me, you lawbreaker, you lawless one. Worker of iniquity. But here it's not the same tone at all. He says to Thomas, as well as Philip and others, who had these questions. Thomas vocalized it, verbalized it, and others may have thought it. He said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. But they didn't get that revelation into their hearts. There was that block, as we said. And they would argue about who's the greatest, and they would try to call fire from heaven to burn up people who weren't with them. They would send away little children, and their parents would come to be blessed. They'd do some strange things because they didn't have the self-crucified. It's a good reminder for us as we look at the lives of the disciples to see how much of us we see in them and how the Lord told them. You need to deny yourself. You need to crucify that. You need to watch and pray and you won't fall into these strange things. Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father. That's enough for us. He just said, if you've seen me, uh, that is, if you've known me, you've known my Father. In effect, what he's going to say to Philip again. Jesus said to him, have I been so long? Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. It's in italics, the word authority. It's implied. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I in the Father, or I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. As we read this, we can read the narrative and say, Philip, Philip, Thomas, Thomas. Is that a shame? Peter, Peter. We may think about Peter's actions and say, well, I don't want to deny my Lord. I need to take a good look at it myself. Would I sell Jesus and what's the price? Judas. What thrills me so much that I can't wait to get out of God's presence and continue with my activity. It's like those people who say, Lord, please don't come this year because I need to get married. After I get married, you can come, Lord. Lord, please don't come this year because I'm starting a new business. I've been waiting for this all. I just want to have a little bit of my cake and eat it too, God, please. 
Little children, keep yourselves from idols, the apostle says. If we don't long for heaven, we're not thrilled with the prospect that God is coming for me, genuinely. And if we don't prove that to ourselves, by really longing for his presence, but try to cut corners and find shortcuts to winning with God, we may get shut out of the kingdom. We have to recognize when we look at Thomas and we look at Philip, have I been so long with Jesus that I don't know him? It's a sobering thing to think about that sometimes if our faith fails, we get this conviction, God, how could, I, how could I have done this? What happened to me? It's like the Lord said, when they again thought, we don't have money or we don't have bread, the Lord had to bring up the past. He said, where were you, basically? Have you forgotten about the 5,000 I fed here and the 4,000 over there? Have you forgotten? Are you still thinking that I can't provide over here? Can't you see? There's a bigger picture spiritually. How are you so earthly-minded? How are you without faith? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever heard the Lord convict you of that? We can't accuse Thomas too quickly then, or Philip, or Peter. Maybe not even Judas. May it not be said, but maybe the case. What is my first love after all? And do I know Jesus? Jesus? Do I know the Father? Do I know God's heart? The Father's heart is the same as the heart of Jesus. Is the exact same will. There's no two different wills. The human Jesus, the human side of God becoming flesh had that human element, the human choice to desire if it were possible an alternate route back to heaven, back to the Father. But then he said, if not, Father, you will be done. In other words, Father, within your will, is it possible? It wasn't a rebellion against the will of the Father. It was a sincere question. There's a divine mystery there. And yet, we look at ourselves. Do we know and are we aligned with God's will? What matters to people and what are the areas in which we can readily assess whether we're on board with Jesus. We understand Him. We know Him. Our wills are aligned with Him. Well, one of the first things has to do with money. Where your treasure is, the Lord said, there your heart is, really. Pleasure. What gives me pleasure? For some people, it's golf. And there's nothing wrong with that. God gives us all things richly to enjoy, the scriptures say. All things. We can enjoy the sunshine. We can enjoy the beach. We can enjoy golf. We can enjoy conversation. God doesn't forbid us to go to restaurants. There's no prohibition. However, not only moderation, but also we need to be good stewards of what God gives us. And the priority must be for God's glory for the expansion of His kingdom first. And same thing with relationships. If ever human relationships take the place of God, then we don't really know God. But we're attracted to Him. We're truly in love with Him. And He becomes our first love when we understand who he really is, his nature. It's a little bit sad to see at this stage that the Lord had to say these things. We have to feel that. How it would have been a source of grief for him. But he had to say, Philip, have I been so... Thomas just said this. Now you're saying this, Philip? What's going on? Have I been so long with you? You don't know me? I would say, as we read this, to do a self-check and say, Lord, do I really know you? Have I trusted you? Lord, have I given everything up, treating it as trinkets compared to treasure from heaven? 
Lord, there's nothing I would rather have. than your perfect will for my life. Take whatever you have to, Lord, and add whatever you have to. I mean it. I've felt your love. I've seen your grace, Lord. I should have been gone. I should have been in hell. But you've loved me so much, Lord. I've failed so many times, Lord. Have you ever felt that? I have. That's when you see God's grace shining so brightly. And yet we also have that tremendous encouragement from him. Don't let your heart be troubled. I don't want you to drown in this now. You need to feel sorrow, but it has to be godly sorrow. That won't lead to death, but it leads to life. True repentance. Now, I still have your address in heaven. I still have a place for you. You don't want to miss it. So you get to get to know me. You have to get to know me. You have to understand that there is a limited time in your lifespan that I have for you. Within that time, I have a purpose for you to accomplish. There's an ultimate call on your life. Don't let the snake come and turn you into a snake. Like Judas. It's written in the book of Acts that Judas fell from his position by transgression. God didn't make him like a prodigal son with the pigsty? No. But he fell from the royal position of being called to be a Christ follower. Because all of a sudden money started looking more and more attractive to him. And he couldn't catch himself too soon. He didn't say, Lord, something's wrong. God, can I, Jesus, can I talk to you? Like Nicodemus. Lord, I've been feeling this. I know you know about it, Lord, but I can't seem to shake this, Lord. I know you just said, I heard you preaching, you can't serve God in money. Lord, I'm feeling this strange pull toward money. God have mercy. Help me, Lord. I don't want to die and go to hell. He didn't do that. The greed made him more of a fool to actually convince himself that Jesus probably doesn't know. And that's the fear that can come when God gives a dream, when he gives a warning, when we read the scriptures and, or we have a thought that heaven downloads somewhere, we could be doing something totally uh, different from a spiritual activity, totally in a, a routine. And all of a sudden God speaks to us. We're aware all of a sudden, my God, I don't think I'm ready to meet him. And there's a, there's a, a wonderful sobriety that takes over. We really start to talk to God like we should. And there's a trembling and there's a faith also that develops that my Father will accept me when I go to Him. Lord, I want to be in heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. When we're in trouble, whatever trouble it is, whether our car is stuck somewhere, whether we're in financial trouble, whether we have relationship troubles, these things that can really destroy life, where we feel like the walking dead, the living dead. Nothing can cheer us up. We can smile on the outside and get through the day, maybe convince other people and try to convince ourselves but at the end of the day. It's painful because there's a there's a cloud hanging over us. Depression and Condemnation. How do I get myself in this again? How does this happen? But we may be looking at other people that we love and they're going through trouble. We're thinking, Lord, what's going on? God, what's going on? Why? The Lord says, don't let your heart be troubled. Keep your eyes on me. I want to give you the ultimate. We're going to live together one day. I have a special place. There's a literal compartment, a house, a mansion, a dwelling place within the Father's house, as I mentioned, 1,400 miles high from the ground of the earth. 
four square can house all of humanity. And God doesn't do anything small. We know that. We're going to have a fairly good size house up there within the Father's house. The Lord actually introduces this when there's trouble. It's a growth in the Christian's heart and life when we're able to think like God and God tells us whatever you're facing look beyond it to me I'm in heaven right now seated at the right hand of my father and your father I'm coming back for you everything will be okay that's what God is saying to them even after he says to Peter you're going to deny me Peter everything's going to be okay because he knew Peter's heart. And as I mentioned, Judas was included many times when the Lord said promises and good things. And yet, there will be a time in which everything will come out in the open. That should put fear in our hearts, really. I fear the Lord. I fear Judgment Day, not because I think I'm going to go to hell, because I know I have to give an account. Have you ever felt that? Do you know the Apostle Paul, this Apostle of Grace said that? He said we must all, he includes himself, we must all appear before the Lord on that day. That means that because Jesus died on the cross and because he gave his life for us on the cross and his blood covers all our sins still, I should say, it doesn't mean that our actions won't be scrutinized on that day. Because after we got born again, the Lord will want to know every deed that we did and how we handled things. What can it mean? Someone please tell me. You don't have to unmute, but I would ask that question to anyone who has this faulty understanding, misinterpretation, as I've heard, a number of people, commenta commentaries and commentators and Bible teachers and pastors, oh, no, 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 this is the Bema seat of Jesus, and when we appear before him, there's not going to be a thing mentioned about anything because his blood is going to cover all. We're just going to go there for the rewards. That's not what the Bible says. And not everybody is going to get rewards. But everything we analyze, including the work we did, and for some, every work they did, Every work they did will be burned down to the ground. Right in front of their eyes, in front of the angels, in front of everybody. There's going to be a tremendous sense of shame. So there will be people going into heaven without an abundant entry. There will be some shame. That makes me afraid. In a healthy way. It does. Because I didn't know this truth. I thought with the lies I heard on Christian radio and churches and books that as long as you're born again you're free you're going to just show up you know roll call and you're going to show up before the Lord Jesus it's going to be smiles and hugs and you know crown for you crown for me and many jewels in the crown maybe some will get a little less jewels in the crown and that's about it we're all happy we're going to sit down at the banqueting table of the Lord have a tremendous feast, and it's going to be awesome. Paul said um, something very different. He said something very opposite. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade people. Not just to believers. He's writing to the church. That a healthy fear will cause me to really take a careful look at my deep motivations. You know, sometimes we can say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for delivering me from the love of things in this world that I'm so different. Thank you, Jesus. And yet, even when we're smiling and praying, and even when we're ministering, we can have another hidden agenda that I can't wait to minister here because I heard the food is great. I can't wait to minister here because the sights are lovely over there. And this person, I'd love to have him in my group because what an asset he'll be, not only for the ministry, but for my personal agenda. 
God have mercy. All of these things will come out one day. Before Jesus. Before the holy angels. Before everyone. Imagine the terror standing before the Lord. I see the blood of Jesus on me. I'm cleansed. I'm redeemed. I'm born again. But the Lord said, I have a few words to say to you. The Bible, the Revelation said, eyes of fire. Jesus is going to appear, as he did to John, in fiery eyes. And to hear the Lord say, you didn't do right over here. It's not just, uh, let's say, a pastor calling a congregant and saying, you didn't do right here. Which should cause trembling, first of all. Or a pastor called to another older servant of God who is training the younger servant of God. It's even more than a child to the parent. More than a student to the principal's office. More than a, an offender seeking a presidential pardon and some harsh words are given, not only denied, but really put to shame before the nation for even trying to get a pardon because of insincerity and violations after that initial crime. We're talking about standing before my God, Jesus Christ, there's no escape. There's no, there are no headphones that I can put, muffle that sound. The one whose sound voices like many waters, and also like a trumpet, also like thunder. Moses was so close to God, but he said, I'm exceedingly afraid, I'm shaking, when he went on Mount Sinai. Why didn't God keep him from doing that, or experiencing that? Why didn't Abraham not have that terror when that darkness came over and God was communicating something to him? Because he's God. His nature communicates awesomeness and fear. But the believer has that fear and that trembling in the context of love and yet there is that trembling. No question. Especially on that judgment day. And that's why, even though the Lord says, don't let your heart be troubled. He doesn't hold back from the reality that one day my Christian life will come under judgment. That's right. Not just the sinner's life, the great white throne judgment, but the Christian will come under judgment. That's true. What is a beam of seat? If you've seen some uh, views there of Israel, You'll see what they have, the remnants of a bema seat where a judge would sit. And there's a bema seat that we must appear before Christ one day, every believer. Paul's writing to believers, including himself. One day, my Christian life will be reviewed. The pre-Christian life is already taken care of. Hallelujah. But my Christian life will be scrutinized before the all-seeing eyes of my Jesus. I'm going to live with him, but there's going to be lots of heart shaking, heart beating fast, and tremendous grief, shame. What else can we experience, if, according to 1 Corinthians 3, if my entire service for the Lord is burnt up in front of my eyes? not going to be joy and high fives and well I thank God I made it it's going to be tremendous shame and grief there are different positions in heaven the disciples argued about who will be number one the Lord had to turn around and tell them listen the one who is going to serve the others that person is going to be the greatest okay Well, the import of this morning's message is not only comfort from the Lord, 
during trouble that God says, you're going to be with me one day. Ultimate joy, ultimate comfort. Just to even hear that from the Lord. And he says that not only to the disciples, but to us. Whatever trouble you're facing, don't worry. You're going to end well. If you do what? Believe me. That's what he says. You believe in God? He's there in the flesh in front of them. He says, believe in me also. Now we say, believe in me. Because to believe in him means to believe in the Father. This perspective really helps us to see our problems and all of a sudden, even the greatest problem that we have dwindles so quickly, so dramatically when we see my father loves me so much. I don't understand what's going on with my health. I don't understand what's going on with my relationships. I may not understand what's going on with my nation with the city, with the weather, with the economy, with this COVID, with uh, so much injustice, so much pain. How can I comprehend all of that? Except to look to my father who's in full control. The one day I'm going to be with him. And the greater the awareness of his presence and the greater the longing if I take God's words, you see, he took pains to tell the people, the disciples. He didn't just say, don't let your heart be troubled. I told you I'm going to get arrested and they're going to deliver me to the hands of sinners. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to murder me. It's going to happen soon. In the midst of that, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Thomas is asking these questions. He knew he's going to ask the question. Philip's going to ask this. Judas is going to betray me. Everybody's going to leave me. But look at my father. Look at me. What words he has. One day we're going to live together forever. Don't worry. That's the connection he makes. He says, the reason I'm telling you, don't be troubled, is that you believe in me and we're going to live together forever forever and there's a special place with your name on it that I'm making just for you and if I go to <coughs> you can be sure that I'm coming back for you I know of no other way to not only cope with things that are beyond my understanding and frustrate me with the events that are happening around us sometimes within us, in our health. We can just be led by the devil into despair land. Not that I have that all the time, but we can be tempted. But we learn how to overcome that by trusting the Lord. Look to Him. And when I look to the ultimate that I'm going to be with the Lord, after all, nothing matters. If I'm going to be with Him and He's got a place for me, and he's coming back for me. He's saying these words to me to reassure me that he really loves me and nothing can separate me from his love. That's the strongest comfort and assurance and security any human being can have. We must have that. We must encourage one another that we're going to heaven. We're going to not only be together with each other, but we're going to be with our Savior forever. It's a wonderful place. Hallelujah. The more we think about heaven, of where we're going to end up, the more the quality of our Christian life will be transformed during our pilgrimage. That's why the Bible says, He that hath this hope in him cleanses and washes and purifies himself. That hope must become real and it must consume us. Otherwise, we really don't know the Lord like we should. We really don't have that intimate fellowship like we think we do. We must love Him more than death. More than this life and any pleasure. Sometimes people say as they get older, we hear this usually regarding Christmas, we just don't have that same thrill as we did when we were children. That's true. Because children are caught up in that wonderment of impossibilities. They're caught up in a fantasy land. And we don't uh, douse that 
fire or their flame, we let them be happy and we give them hope. We do everything we can to be a blessing to them, to help them. But then we grow older and the cynicism sets in. We see the meanness of the cold world. World equals people. Mistreatment and abuse. Injustice. We think, my God, <laughs> it's not the world I thought it was when I was a child. And even Christmas, because the problems are so great that we have to deal with and cope with as adults. But then we get back to that childlike wonderment where we just look at our Savior. We think about why He came and where He's taking us to. All of a sudden we can become a child at heart. Full of genuine joy, genuine hope, not just hope with what's happening, hope. We have to make this confession and admission. We don't always thrive in such a way because we're human. God knows that. But we need to encourage each other while it's called today. We should allow our hearts to get not only to not get discouraged, not get hardened and calloused as we grow up in this world and we have to face things. And despair doesn't set it. That we don't harden our hearts against God's promises of heaven, everlasting life. The reality is our life here is a vapor. Very soon we'll have to appear before the Lord and there's no return. At that point we'll have to tell Him with our own mouth why we said what we did, why we did what we did as Christians. But today we can decide and say, Lord, if that's the case, then as a believer, I will be judged for the deeds done in the body. Every motive will come out into the open. Things that I can hide now from people will not be hidden from people either on that day. Everybody will know. Especially the Lord will bring it out of our own mouths then I'm going to be extremely careful of what I allow myself to think because that's where it all starts. The actions and words we know come from what's going on in the heart and mind. If I can get a hold of that place, a tight brain, you don't allow that thought, no. You can't think that, you know? When the thought comes that you feel like despising someone, you get convicted immediately say, no, 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 no. Who am I? Who am I to despise another person? What if God would bring all my failures again to light? Dig up all my sins, my God. You see? I said the Holy Spirit will work. Instantly we shut our mouths and say, Lord, you're the judge. I'm going to forgive like you forgive me. I'm going to watch myself because... If I watch myself and what I believe, the doctrine, if it's on point with you, not only will I be safe, the people around me, they'll get into the ark too. Don't let your heart be troubled. Tremendous comfort God gave to the disciples who were totally in shock. He would not only say, I've overcome the world, we have good cheer, I've overcome the world. But he, he actually says, in the moment of his trial, I'm, I'm headed to my father. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. We're going to be in touch. Stronger than ever. And then one day I'm coming back. We're going to live forever together. I have a place especially for you. Have I been so long with you that you don't know me? Don't you know that I'm the way? For every question and problem in your life, I am the answer. 
the same time, you need to do something too. Yield to this hope. Let it grow in you and consume you. I'm going to be with my Father one day. I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus. He has a real place for me. More real than the apartment or house I live in now. More real. And that's where I'm going to live, not for 5, 10, 15, 30, 40 years. Eons and eons. Ages and ages. Worlds without end. And that is a literal place. Not figurative, metaphorical. 1,400 miles or so square where all of humanity that's been washed by the blood of Jesus will live together in ultimate harmony with tremendous activity, heavenly wonders. And as the Bible says, in the ages to come, He will lavish His riches upon us. Who wouldn't like to be rich like that? At the same time, He says, before that entry, I have to review your life. Based on that, you will gain or lose the quality of life and position in heaven. How sobering that is. But how good it is, as we often say for the child who says, is the test coming? The child is keen every day, being that sober person and having these things, they take notes and they remind us themselves, they put their reminders or sticky notes here and there. I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm going to be with the Lord. Yes, that's how it is. As simple as that. To remind myself, I'm going to end up with the Lord. I'm going to end up with the Lord. There's a mansion there. I'm going to be with Him. He's more real than what I see now. We have to talk to ourselves. We have to encourage each other. Remember the Lord's promise. Don't let your heart be troubled. And on that day, we don't have if we watch and pray, and we look forward to being with the Lord. Praise be to God. The Lord has spoken to you. You can go ahead and pray.